0: about it this is Hamilton today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML
1: hey it's another snow day in Hamilton today (laughs) I'm Curtis Thompson Scott's son Diana Weeks and Dave Woodard are in the newsroom Will Erskine is on the board our dog walked off the edge of the back deck and disappeared I follow the bark and dig Here's
0: Scott Thompson. he way. I think I see his tail. He's got like a hair on the top. Start digging, boy. I'm not sure he can breathe in there. I hung on to Kurt's feet and, uh, over the edge of the deck and he, uh, he saved the dog. All was well. Although I did drop Kurt, but the snow's nice and fluffy. Good afternoon. It is 310. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson, Willerskin on the board and Diana and Dave in the newsroom. Uh, and we'll join us around the big round table coming up after the four 30 news. Love to uh, hear what you're chatting about around your big round table. You want to throw it on ours? Love to hear from you. Send us a note. Scott Thompson at 900 CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open. All right. Like, uh, you know, kids home from school today. Uh, again, I, I think uh, officials and police probably wish that everybody would just stay home. Unfortunately we can't. That's just not the way the world works. Uh, and uh, you know, just watching uh, clips and such from, uh, from, cities and such inner city shots that's where it seems to be uh a a real issue because obviously if you live in the inner city uh many times people are parking on the street and you know that key that kind of has things narrow as it is and then obviously you get cars parked and a plow comes down and removes part of it but then half of it is still there And how do you get all those cars out of there uh, at the same time so the plow can get back up as opposed to just going in and around every car and plowing them back in? Uh, And, you know, like it was funny because uh, uh, yesterday uh, we have a slight grade where we are and a stop sign down at the bottom to make a turn. And, um, you know, there was basically one single track, like two tracks of of cars going up, and then if you could hit those tracks, I guess you could make it. But really, only if you had four-wheel drive. And it was funny because we had people waiting at the stop sign. And they were, like, people with four-wheel drive, get out of my way, man. I'm going to do her. I can get up. And, I mean, I'm talking a slight grade, like very slight grade, not a hill in any way. I mean, you know, you get a nice little cruise skateboarding, but that's about it. Um, And sure enough, they, well, it's like watching a tractor pull. You know, they start at the bottom from the standing uh, standing start, and then they just give her. Just give her, and there's snow flying and in the you know it's it's you gotta watch because oh no they're mounting the curb they're gonna hit my snowblower and you know and then they bog down and then they stop usually about two or three houses out and then you know someone comes out and waves a flag all right, who's next? And you can tell all the people who were at the bottom were get that had vehicles that were capable of, of going up were like ticked off at the cars or people that didn't have you didn't have snow tires. I did not think he even moved yesterday. But you know, it's like why are you even trying, man? You're just gonna block the road. Don't block the road. So people will get stuck. Like halfway up this little grade, and you know, then you know, people everybody run and it was great because like I said, it's like watching a tractor pull, and the only thing that was missing was the beer in your hand and the dust and said it was snow flying. But then the drag is you had to get out and push the guy back. <laughs> it's like, wait a sec. This wasn't in the program. Uh and and then literally you were watching cars back all the way back down, down to where the intersection was. And then they'd get out of the way, and you know, somebody in, you know, an F one fifty with four wheel drive. Rah! Up, you know they're
2: wah, 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 wah,
0: wah, wah, wah. And it's like watching those you know uh, the people down south in Oklahoma doing the bug the bog racing when they try to get through the mud try to get through the swamp in one side out the other uh if they make it up to the top of the grade you know the neighborhood starts cheering starts banging on their pots and pans and you know when you're in a global pandemic this is really all the entertainment you have in the hood uh, other than getting out there and shoveling and that's working up a sweat isn't it and by the way uh the the, the health officials in hamilton are saying uh be careful uh and and don't overdo it because what happens after snowstorms like this people end up in emergency with uh with a heart attack some sort of cardiac arrest because they've worked too hard they've shoveled too hard they've you know pushed too many cars and we all know you know where the health system is now collapsed under COVID-19 so uh let's try to keep that uh from happening and uh you know moderation take your time uh as many are still digging out tonight uh, yesterday, Mohawk College broadcast radio program announced a big forward-thinking change. The Radio and Creative Arts Content, or sorry, Creative Content Program uh, looks to prepare students for the future of radio as well as podcasting, content creation, and every other aspect of media that there is. And to talk more about all of this, and I, I think we're actually on in our class, too. Uh, Sam Cook is with us, Mohawk College professor, program coordinator for the Radio and Creative Content Program, and a dang fine broadcaster in her own right. Sam, uh, great to talk to you. I hope you're doing well.
3: Thank you so much. It is great to talk to you. Scott Thompson, the legend in Hamilton. Yeah. So, please. so happy what? to be on your
0: show. So why are you not writing Shotgun? Come on. I know you like <laughs> teaching, but you should be with us. You should be back on. I know businesses changes and, and things go through. How do you like teaching?
3: You know, I actually really, really enjoy it. Do I miss being on the air? You betcha. I absolutely do. But um Just watching these students, you know, from their first day being super nervous on the air and then watching them do really great things. Some of our grads are doing such great things. It just makes me so happy and so proud to see them just move on in their career it just it, it's a great feeling for sure well
0: good good for you and, and kids let's take a look at sam take a look at your teacher you got a great uh, you got a great one in front of you right there all right how's that is it working uh I love so, it.
3: thank
0: you so so uh, how has this changed and i don't want to say since we went to school because i'm i'm older than you are uh but how has it changed over the years from from what it was to what it is now i've often thought i'd like to go back and take a course again just so i know but but wh- how has it changed
3: So, I mean, we were we've been um, a broadcasting radio program for many, 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 many years, uh, I think over 30 plus years at Mohawk College. And I started noticing lately that when these job postings were coming up, you know, program directors were looking for more than just someone to, you know, spin a song and talk on the air. It became you have to spin a song, talk on the air know how to record a video, edit it, you know, be on social media, how do you brand yourself? And it became very overwhelming for the students. And I thought, you know what, we need to change. We need to, you know, get with the times and update the program. So what we did, Scott, is we did uh, about a two-year research project where we spoke to students and faculty and lots of industry across Canada and the states to ask the industry, what do you need? You tell us, and we will create what you need. And, and that's how this program, uh, Radio and Creative Content, came to be.
0: And what do they need? Because I'd like to know. <laughs> what so, do they need? What, what, is it, what are they looking for now?
3: Yeah. Basically, what they're saying is, yes, we do need radio announcers. Radio is strong and alive. And during the pandemic, there was a ton of job postings for people to work in radio, but what they also need is someone who can come to the station and know how to be a brand and understand how to promote the brand or the radio station. So that's what they're looking for. They're looking for one person to be able to just be a walking like brand for the radio station.
0: And uh, you know, uh, this is the majority of this is changing technology, social media, the use of of, mm-hmm. of other platforms and such, as well as radio. Content is content. Radio is the method of distribution, same as social media.
3: Yeah, Absol- so absolutely, ha- absolutely.
0: So, how do you have to be more versatile in 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 your content and what you create, and and knowing all of these different avenues? Is that what you're teaching?
3: Yeah. like What we're basically doing is we're teaching a little bit of everything. So not only are we teaching the way to communicate, which is very important, um, both on the air and through social media, but we're teaching them different platforms as well, because it's very important that not only they learn social media, but how to create that content as well whether that be, you know, like I said, video editing, or uh, a lot of radio, I don't know if you have to do this as well. But a lot of radio announcers now are expected to uh, do a podcast as well. Yeah. A lot of stations are asking them to do that, and uh, producing a podcast and editing it. And these are skills that these students need to know. So when we teach them, they can just go off into the working world and be like, yep, I know how to do all of that already. And they're the whole package.
0: Also, what's cool about this? It's amazing how many young people are coming into the industry now and are teaching people of my generation this. And mm. and it's amazing how far ahead of us they are on that. It's just it's you know just packaging all the content together and moving forward. But it, it's it's amazing how much they bring to the organization.
3: You know, and and I'll be honest with you, you know. I call myself a teacher, but sometimes with social media, I find that they're teaching yeah. me. And yeah. I used to get really upset about that. Like, I used to think that I was a bad teacher, but then I realized, you know what, like, this is how the world works. And I get so excited now when they show me something new. I'm like, okay, bring it on. Let me see. So uh, it, it's, really, it's a really cool environment just to um, be able to learn together, I think is super important.
0: And I mean, you know, communication, it's as important now as it always was. Again, it just, what changes is the method of distribution and the way we absorb it all. Uh, Sam Cook with his Mohawk College Professor Program coordinated for the Radio and Creative Content Program. Sam, good luck with all of this moving forward and, uh, kudos to all the journalism students listening. Uh, good luck in the future. Take care.
3: Thank you so much, and hello to one of our radio grads, your producer Will Erskine, so I'm so proud of Will, and uh, so proud of you too, Scott, thank you so much. Wait a sec,
0: how did he get out? Uh, I don't know, you might have made a mistake here, Sam, I'm not sure about this one. Alright, thanks, Sam, be well, you take care, look at that, he's you running too. the board, he, he supplies his own sound effects. Uh, 357, <laughs> thanks, Sam. Alright, uh, an interesting aside has come out of the case of Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, remember she was, uh, just Went through her court process and was found guilty uh, of sexually uh, uh, sexual misconduct, aiding uh, or aiding Jeffrey Epstein in uh, in his uh, whatever his uh, conduct was over the course of the years he was alive, and of course uh, remember that uh, that he. Uh, was found dead in his prison cell. Uh, obviously, then the uh, attention focused to Jelaine Maxwell, and I thought this case would get a lot more uh, publicity than what it what it did. It it, it kind of came and went, and, and simply because there appeared. Uh, to be a lot more uh, people involved, a lot more uh, people who are recognizable, celebrities, politicians, uh, and such. So, uh, you know, I thought that um, we would hear more about that over the course of this, and she would use that to leverage uh, whatever it was that she was going through. Uh, However, this kind of came and went and um, really didn't see too much on it over the course uh, of the trial. And uh, she has just revealed that now that her case is over, she will not fight to keep the names of eight John Doe's secret any longer, and we'll leave it up to the courts to decide whether the names should be unsealed. And uh, these are the documents containing the names that are connected to a 2015 defamation case uh, brought by a woman who claimed Epstein sexually abused her while she was a minor, and, and that Maxwell aided uh, in the bu- in the abuse, and the, that case was settled uh, back in 2017. So I'm surprised we didn't hear more about the other players in this, uh, whatever it was, um, other than Maxwell's and Epstein's. So to talk more about this, let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert. She's with us now. And Alyssa, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well and you're dug out or you're safe in some form or another above the snow.
1: Yes, dug out is the appropriate word. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Some still are. So uh, we talked about this before, and I was surprised the Maxwell case did not receive a bit more attention, a lot more attention than what it did, considering uh, uh, just uh, the celebrity of this all and, and the names and such that were alleged to be involved. Are you surprised we didn't hear more about those names, or they didn't come out? Or she didn't even use those, or maybe she did, I don't know, as leverage, or perhaps couldn't legally, I'm not sure. But I thought We'd hear more about that you
1: well, you know it's interesting because when you think of who these names are, you think you ought to think about the ripple effect, and goodness knows who they are, Scott. so if you start putting out these names that you know the people who are in big decision making uh, positions you know around the world, what kind of reverberations would that have? so maybe there was some sort of grand let's like plan on let's try and keep these eight names out because. You know, the good of the greater, you know, Western world will fall. Who knows? So there had to be some reason why they wanted to keep these names out. There had to be some, like, terrible fallout that would happen if these eight names were revealed. So now they're sort of teasing, well, you know what? Maybe it was always part of her. I don't know, her philosophy or her credo or her, you know, her oath that she would never reveal these eight names. But now that Yelan has absolutely lost everything and that nobody else has come to her aid and she is most certainly facing jail time. Well, then who cares? Nobody's come to her protection. She's on her own with her legal team. So, you know, what the heck with it. So she doesn't care about protecting these people, whoever they may be.
0: Why now, though? Why not use this as leverage during the case? Why not uh, reveal these? Because she decided she fought to keep them secret. Now has decided it's up to the court uh, to decide who knows what happens with that moving forward. Um But what's in it for her?
1: I still have to think there's negotiation, Scott. I still have to think they haven't yeah. decided, you know, what her term is going to be, and I think that this is her very last bargaining chip. So rather than use it through the uh, initial legislative process, then or judicial process, then okay, we're going to pull out this calling card now. So if we're going to do this, what does this mean in terms of her jail term? Is it going to be 60 years, like the way we think it is? Or if these eight names get out and they do decide to reveal them, what does it mean for each eight names? So if I was her lawyer, I would say, okay, so let's talk about five years per name. You know, where are we now? So I think that there's still um, a lot of negotiation happening. Of course, nothing that we are very privy to. But I think that the gravity of what she did and who she knows and who participated, uh, it seems to be worrying a lot of people. So I think that's why we haven't really seen a lot of minutiae or day-by-day about about Mm. this trial. But I think for those who are interested, they're definitely still watching.
0: So where does this leave Prince Andrew?
1: Oh, my gosh, in a vat of hot water. (laughs) I mean, Mm. really. It's, um, you does know, this complicate nowadays, his
0: issue even? Does this complicate his issue even more?
1: Oh, I, 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 undoubtedly so. Undoubtedly so. Even his mother has had it with him. And if you believe, you know, what you see on uh, the Crown, that Netflix show, that she was always <laughs> um, a Queen Elizabeth's favorite. I have to say that she has fallen. That he has fallen far down that chain. So he is already um, in a very prime and unfortunate position because of the uh, because of all of this. And he never disavowed their friendships and, you know, just pretended that, you know, whatever happened was absolutely innocent and or consensual. But nobody's buying that anymore. You know, the royal family just does, just does not have that Teflon shield that they used to have. So if something was amiss or about to get out, somebody from the palace would phone the paper and say, okay, you know what, gents? Perhaps we don't publish this one, and I'll mm. give you something else. But I think that still goes on. But certainly, I think that all of the velvet gloves are off, to be quite honest, Scott, and it's all fair game.
0: And you got to think with the queen coming towards the end of her reign, celebrating her 70th this year, uh, and obviously the damage this does to the royal brand, they have to look at succession here. And many are thinking that once her time has passed, that this could be it. I mean, there's going to be a shift in some way
1: well i think so too and i think that people think well will charles ever be king i mean this is what he was groomed for and you know look where he is late in life i don't think that the queen is and i'm talking like I, I know elizabeth but i don't but you know does the queen want camilla i don't know what she would be certainly you know not the queen but something the consort But that certainly probably doesn't Mm. fit really well with her. And really, I mean, everybody thinks that they'll just skip the line and and William will become, you know, a new, modern, fresh face for the monarchy. And maybe that's what it needs right now. However, still, I mean, you know, I don't um, look upon this sort of job favorably. I think that the weight of the world is on your shoulders. And you're trying to keep a hold of an institution that really... Does not have the same sway, although it does have a, a bit of mystique attached to it. But it certainly doesn't have the same sway and power as it once did.
0: Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert, talking about the Maxwell case and a well, and as well how it uh, affects Prince Andrew. Alyssa, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you, Scott. All right. Good news, and as they say, another tool in the toolbox. Uh, that and Pivot used a lot during this pandemic. Uh, Health Canada has approved Pfizer's antiviral pill for treatment of COVID-19. What does it mean for the fight against the pandemic? Let's bring in Dr. Zane Chagla, infectious disease specialist with St. Joseph's Hospital and associate professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases Department of Medicine, McMaster University, and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, talk about this uh, new antiviral pill. When is this pill used? Who is it for?
4: Yeah, so this is a, a new uh, advance in COVID-19 therapy, really exciting. Uh, and so this is a protease inhibitor. And, and to make it simple, when the virus replicates in our cells, instead of you know, making little tiny bits of virus and putting it together, it actually makes a big sheet of proteins And those are chopped up into little proteins which make new viruses, which leave the cell. And so this pill essentially works on the enzyme or the the protein that actually breaks apart that giant sheet of proteins and makes tiny viruses. And so if you can't cut apart the proteins, then you can't make new viruses, which means the virus basically stops replicating. We've done this with other diseases like HIV where where this works very well. Uh, And so, you know, this molecule given... Within the first five days, and the reason being is that's when the virus is replicating and causing the most damage in that first few days, when given early to patients in clinical trials, people that are high risk of hospitalization, so those who are over the age of 60, those with medical conditions, those who have immune suppression, we see the risk of hospitalization reduced by over 80% in those populations when they complete a five-day course of treatment.
0: So this would be administered after they have tested positive and, show, and are showing symptoms, or could you test positive and not show symptoms and would need this, or, or is that not the case?
4: Yeah, I mean, generally we would reserve it for people who, again, are symptomatic and within yeah. that first five days and have some sort of confirmatory test to,
0: to, to really
4: point out that they have COVID-19 as compared to other diseases where obviously it will not work.
0: Uh, any reason to take this earlier, or do you have to actually have it before this is effective?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, the, you could always look at this as, you know, post exposure in case in, in like a long term care facility if there's an outbreak. I think right now all the evidence points to giving it early, but again, there's lots of work being done with, with how these drugs could actually be repurposed. You know the the uh, analogies are influenza drug Tamiflu, which many of us take, was originally trialed in the same purpose, giving it to people early in their disease to make them feel better, reduce the risk of significant symptoms. But in the context, when given to places like long term care facilities, if single person has COVID nineteen or influenza. Um, it can essentially stop outbreaks in its tracks. So there's a lot of work being done in the background to see, you know, whether or not this could be used again prior to people getting COVID-19. At the first sign of them having COVID-19, uh, uh, even in in kind of uh, high risk people, to prevent them from getting COVID-19. But for now, what the trials have shown, and at least the indication that's proved in Canada is after the diagnosis of symptomatic COVID-19 within the first five days of those symptoms.
0: So is this more to treat the symptoms and make that less evasive than it is the actual disease? It, it, it's, it's sort of helping <laughs> yeah, you get I mean, through I mean,
4: it. You know, the, the paradigm here is, you know, what leads people to hospital isn't necessarily the virus replicating, you know, then uh, causing damage to the body. Some of it is, but really it's inflammation and, and that response that our body makes to the virus right. that gets out of control that leads people to have lung problems that leads them into hospital. And so giving this treatment early and shutting down viral replication essentially makes that inflammation part go away. And again, you know, the, it makes people's symptoms improve, but most importantly, it doesn't set off that inflammation cascade, which then leads people to get sick and land up on ventilators.
5: So it's
0: been approved by Health Canada. When does it actually get to you guys and get into patients? When would we see that?
4: Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, it's coming soon. There is drug already in Canada that's been delivered. And so it's going to go to the Public Health Agency of Canada to local provinces. Uh, they're going to be distributed you know, across the province into different regional sites. But we are actively making plans now to integrate it into assessment and testing in the city such that uh, you know patients can be referred in, like many other ways that they get treatments, like our monoclonal antibody program. Uh, and uh, and yeah, we're able to reach patients soon. So hopefully in a week or two, we'll be, we'll be able to really administer this to high-risk patients in the community.
0: Obviously new and much sought after is there a shortage of this at this point.
4: Yeah, look, Ontario is getting about 10 or 11,000 courses of the 30,000 that are kind of coming in the first quarter of 2021. Uh, or 2022, uh, So, you know, that still leaves the probably a few hundred doses we'll have access to in Hamilton. Um, you know, if it's given appropriately to high-risk patients, it's going to still have significant benefit in that 500 mm-hmm. or so courses. But yeah, absolutely. This is a global sought after drug. From what I understand, it takes a long time to actually make the drug, about six months from when you start production. Uh, And so, you know, we're probably not going to have unlimited access to this for months and months and months to come. But having, you know, even that 30,000 courses across Canada, if they're given to the right people, will have big benefits, especially in people that a vaccine may not work very well in.
0: All right, Doctor, let's do some fact-checking, which we still need to do, I guess, at this stage of the pandemic. Uh, you think we all know about uh, this by now, but uh, China's saying that the recent cases of Omicron that came into Beijing came into Beijing via Canada and a letter. Is it possible for you to mail someone Omicron?
4: It is near impossible to do that. You know, this is a respiratory virus. It's spread by droplets and aerosols and short-term kind of respiratory contact. These viruses, when they get on surfaces, you know, the the environmental stresses of humidity, of dryness, of UV light, all of those degrade virus very quickly. And so we learned very quickly surfaces are not a, a, a A very efficient mode of transmission and likely even if there is spread it has to be you know someone that really is contaminated that surface very very recently that someone else you know gets a hold of you can imagine a package you know going from canada uh, halfway across the world sitting on a flight and uh or uh, every other method to get there and somehow getting to a destination you know there's you know, hours to days to get to that point. And so it's really, you know, almost impossible to see it. We've seen this a couple of times from China, though, where they blame things like um, uh, packaged seafood and other things uh, oh. for the reason for their spread of virus. The likelihood is they just have an undefined respiratory source that is probably the cause of transmission as compared to, you know, these, these kind of other excuses for transmission.
0: Dr. Zane Chagla with us, infectious disease specialist, St. Joseph's Hospital and Professor Division, Infectious Disease Department of Medicine, McMaster University. Doctors, always thank you so much for the time. Be well. All the best take care will erskine on the board making their way around the virtual round table uh and out of the newsroom is diana weeks and dave Wooder. table heads great to have you here hope you're all doing well Di- yeah. <laughs> diana when did you eventually get dug out last night will and i were talking i think his plow went at 11 mine was around at about nine o'clock when did you get dug out
6: our plows came by at about nine o'clock last night
0: yeah, there you go. Yeah. And, you know, it's a bit of a drag because, you know, you, you're shoveling in two stages because you get out there and you try to get as much of it done as you can, and then the plow comes by, and, man, that was like another Ugh. another meter in the driveway oh, uh, just yeah. to get that out. Yeah. I hear you. All right, uh, let's start with the uh, poll question of the day. How would you rate cities the city's snow removal? And, I mean, I don't know. I think this is kind of an anomaly. It's certainly one of the bigger ones that I can remember in my time on the planet. Uh, but how would you rate the city's snow removal? Right now, 38% of you are saying average, and you can split that up pretty uh, pretty much a third saying no and uh, the other third saying yes. Dave, we'll start with
7: you. What are your thoughts? How do you think the city did? Uh, first off, I think that there is a special place in hell for those snowplow drivers that drop <laughs> off seven feet of snow in front of your driveway. <laughs> yes, uh, really. But honestly, like you said, there was a ton of snow. There was a lot of snow that uh, city... Uh, uh, crews had to deal with and i think in general they did a pretty good job uh, i will say this the the highways the the red hill uh and the uh the uh the link both were very clear when i drove in yesterday and i thought that was great but then you got had really main or arterial roads like Queensdale, like Brucedale mm-hmm. the street and the city uh green hill the place where where i'm close to um that had not been plowed so it's great that the the highways were nice and clear but if you can't get to them, what's the use?
0: Yeah and and you know I'm just watching shots now on various cities and such that you know especially in the inner city where you know you've got uh, rows of houses and people parking on the street man it's 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 impossible there's barely enough room to get a plow down uh and then there's the other lane where the cars are parked uh let's go with you Diana are you content with the city's snow removal although you might have a biased opinion <laughs> cuz it took you a day to get in you, but, know, you know I mean what do you do well yesterday
6: was unprecedented right i mean we haven't yeah. seen a storm like that in a very long time. You know, our meteorologist Anthony Farnell was obviously talking about this being very record-setting and uh, that sort of thing. And so I think that they did the best with what you know we have yeah. which is you know the amount of plows and manpower we have in the city um and something that i was interested in learning about yesterday too was that i thought i was like maybe a lot of people are also off with 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 covid-19 or or perhaps they're Good isolating point. and so maybe there weren't a lot of of plows actually out there compared to what you know would normally be a full fleet so i don't know i think given the circumstances they do their best but i have to agree with dave in the sense that yeah the 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 whole pushing of the snow back into the driveway i mean just no all
0: kinds of no you know that being said and i remember my father you know screaming at snow plow drivers when we were kids and the same thing would happen but i'm not sure as a plow driver you know what can you really do here i come and uh you know it's funny as soon as the plow went by in one direction everybody on my street just kind of stopped it's like there's no sense really doing any of this because you know he's going to come back the other way and then we're going to have to do it again
5: (laughs) exactly
0: you, you know i guess you gotta time it well you want to weigh in on this how would you rate the snow removal
5: you know what i'm gonna go with average as well because and that's a positive average because this was so outside of anything yeah. anyone was expecting add in the pandemic and everything else to it the fact that they that they're, that it's actually clear by now i'm applauding that so yeah, yeah i'll good say good, good enough
0: and it's been quite fascinating watching cars, seeing, uh, watching cars yesterday, trying to get up our street, which has a slight grade on it, which I've been talking about all day. It's, uh, it was almost like watching a tractor pull right there on your street. All right. Uh, should Ontario's restrictions end January 26th? That's when they're scheduled to, uh, the premier, uh, alluding today that there was some positive news on the way. How far they'll go, we're not sure. Uh, but I, I think there's also, uh, BC's, uh, Bonnie Henry is on right now. And I believe they're going to be doing the same thing. Uh, obviously I can't listen to that. I'm talking to you, but, uh, what are your thoughts, Dave? Should, do you think it's by January 26th? That's it.
7: I don't think that'll be it. I, I know that uh, Dr. Kieran Moore, who's the uh, uh, Chief Medical he- Officer of Health for Ontario, he said that when we do move out of these, it will be in a phased uh, approach. Uh, so I, I think that we will start lifting them as of the 26th. Uh, I don't know which ones will be lifted. I don't know if we'll go back to, I don't know, 50% indoor dining or having, you know, a thousand fans uh, in arenas. I don't know exactly how it's going to go. I think that we will start to see the beginning of the end of these restrictions as of the 26th, but I don't think we'll see them gone completely.
0: It certainly looks like uh, the cases are peaking. And again, uh, Dr. Uni saying that it looks like we're at a plateau. I guess that still delays the hospital admissions for another two weeks. But it does look like things are are certainly leveling out. Diana, your thoughts? Uh, should we go uh, start lifting these Jan 26?
6: I think that, like, similar to what Dave had just said, I think that obviously we should start maybe lifting some restrictions. But I don't think it's going to be, you know, a full on lifting of all of them. That's got to be uh, gradual graduated and kind of measured in terms of, I guess, caseloads, and we'll find out more on that. But I do think, you know, I think that a lot of local businesses and like restaurants and stuff, I, I really think they need to reopen. This is really tough for them. And I think there's a way that we can, we can do it safely um, without completely lifting all the restrictions that are in place.
0: Do you think we're going to have a graduated, just as Dave said, a graduated reopening after the 26th? Is that due to still concerns about, it's not really the concerns about the illness anymore. It's concerns about overrunning the hospital system, which we've talked about many times. Um, do you think this is being made uh or do you think we need to do this uh in gradual stages to prevent that or do you think the disease is still a concern because i'm saying blow it open let's go you i mean are... we're vaccinated let's go let's rock it's time
6: i i want to say that i i do think that that won't happen though <laughs> so yeah, i mean yeah. I'm I'm, gradual from a political standpoint. Yes, yeah I'm I'm being cautiously yes i'm being cautiously optimistic and thinking that it will be gradual and I'll be happy oh. with that. Let's let's just be happy that certain things yeah, are opening good point.
0: again. <laughs> good point. All yeah. right. Uh, interesting. And uh, I saw this on social media yesterday. Uh, shots of Doug Ford helping dig people out or drive them around uh, in his hood up in Etobicoke and, su- and such. Uh, the Toronto Star headline today read, Doug Ford should help dig the city out of this hole instead of digging cars out of snowbanks. Your thought on the headline. Is it a low blow or is that an accurate headline? Let's start with you, Dave.
7: I think it's it's pretty accurate. I think that uh, there's we, we look at you know it from a political point of view. Um, yesterday, Angus Reid came out with a, a report saying that uh, Doug Ford's popularity was the lowest basically it had been ever, um, and uh, just so happened that he was going around you know helping people out with with shoveling. At the same time, uh, going out and doing anything, I think is is beneficial and help and helpful. Um, but I don't know if I'm cynical about this, Scott, or not, but I think any time that, that a politician goes out and calls up TV stations and, and tries to get them on board about what they're doing, I feel like it's not about actually helping. I think it's more about trying to get your face in front of a camera. Diana.
6: Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, like, if you look at the majority of Hamilton yesterday, and I'm sure a lot of the surrounding area, like my neighbors were pretty much doing what Doug Ford did all day yesterday. And they didn't ask for any publicity on it. You know, I had a guy who was about 75, you know, trying to dig out my tires. So, did he,
0: did, yeah, but do you think he was just doing this like the the sort of neighborly thing like everybody else was doing? I mean, you know, no. we all shoveled each other's drive. You think he's doing this just for politics?
6: Well, that's what I mean. I mean, he, he basically, yeah. the difference between Doug Ford and, and the rest of Ontario yesterday was the fact that he had a camera person following him. So whereas, he, should, he
0: had stayed at home?
6: I don't think he should have stayed at home, but I mean, he's a politician. I mean, yeah. sure, he's a good guy, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's a great guy and has great intentions. But at the end of the day,
0: he's a politician, right? Good point. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Canada is deploying special forces in Ukraine, but not necessarily for the reasons you would expect to discuss what is going on and how we move forward on this and what Canada's role is. Let's bring Christian Leprec in, professor at both the Royal Military College of Canada, Queen's University and fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute. Christian, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Good afternoon, Scott. I am enjoying the snow outside. And how else can you say it other than enjoying the snow? Good for you. Uh, I I think, obviously, Canadians were aware that there's tensions along the border uh, with Ukraine and Russia. I'm not sure they were uh, necessarily aware that uh, we may be uh, sending in a special force. What can you tell us about this special force going in?
5: So the special forces are essentially our most highly skilled, our most highly trained uh, force components. Uh, They can achieve a lot of things with a relatively small footprint. So it gives you a lot of uh, bang for your buck if you want. Uh, But what it really does is it maximizes the government of Canada's options because they're so well-equipped and they're so highly trained and they can operate relatively autonomously. So that means they can do anything from continuing and supporting sort of accelerated training uh, for Ukrainian armed forces that we've been engaged in with about uh, 200 Canadians since about 2014. Uh, They can help uh, with uh, the rather sclerotic command and control system uh, in the Ukrainian armed forces so providing advice to them. They could uh, assist for instance with targeting uh, if that were something that uh, they were directed to do by the government of Canada. Um, And uh, they can also simply just assist with the evacuation of Canadians and Canadian embassy staff we saw of course in the afghanistan drawdown uh, that uh, it, it, we need to plan ahead on these things and i think the government might mm-hmm. have learned a hard lesson there from kabul to try to uh, make sure it has some options on the ground should things go uh, um, uh, in in ways that uh, we all hope they will not
0: so i was just about to ask why now so is this about preparation uh, for the future as to not get caught as you just expressed
5: yeah, and I mean, it also sends a signal to the Russians. So once you send special ops, the UK announced that it is sending uh, defensive but lethal uh, weapons, in particular anti-tank weapons, but also other weapons. Um, it sends a signal that uh, the Americans have said they're prepared to start a uh, um, a guerrilla war if uh, necessary, should the Russians move on Ukraine. Um, it sort of sends a signal for deterrence that uh, this will not be easy. And of course, uh, many small countries in the world will take what's not sometimes known as sort of the porcupine approach. If you look at the Finlandization, for instance, uh, of of Ukraine here, Sweden, Singapore, Israel, these are all countries in dangerous neighborhoods. And they send a message that uh, if you go after us, uh, you might be able to get us, but it's really going to hurt. And I think that's part of the message that Canada is sending. Uh, We might just use these troops to evacuate our embassy staff, or just like Putin is keeping people guessing, we're keeping people guessing in terms of uh, this could potentially hurt. uh, So be careful what you try.
0: So allies on board here, you were talking about the UK participation. Is everybody on the same page here?
5: Oh, by no means. And I think, uh, look, the three countries that have stepped up the most in terms of deterrence, active deterrence, are the three countries that have a body of water between them and, uh, if you want, uh, Russia and continental mm-hmm. Europe. That is to say, the UK, Canada, um, and uh, and the US. So you know, proximity to Moscow matters here. Um, the, the Germans, for instance, have said that they're not backing down on Nord Stream two. They're not favouring throwing Russia out of Swift, uh, the Swift uh, international banking mechanism, um, and they're not prepared to send lethal weapons. So the Germans are clearly not banking on deterrence. They're clearly banking on soft power, on diplomacy, uh, and on keeping a dialogue with the Russians. And I think, you know, one of the benefits in an alliance is we don't necessarily need everybody on the same side. We can have a differentiated approach, where different allies can, can take different tacks in terms of maximizing uh, their pressure on Moscow um, and trying to keep Putin in line. And I think it's certainly going to keep uh, both Putin, his intelligence. Services, uh, and services, the diplomatic are quite busy trying to deal with all these different approaches uh, of different people trying to send different types of signals. So, you know, you keep the Russians occupied in the hopes of uh, uh, them uh, um, them understanding that they don't uh, uh, not making moves that uh, are neither in our interests, nor in Ukraine's nor in our European allies' interests. This
0: Russian creep has been going on for a while. Um, what is their reaction to the allies now, standing? Standing up.
5: Yeah, of course, Putin has long spun this narrative that as he's sometimes being encircled by NATO, but that's what we would expect from the Russians, they don't recognize country sovereignty, right? I mean, essentially, they're trying to turn Ukraine, Georgia and Belarus into vassal states of, uh, of Russia. Um, And uh, so, you know, I think he treats many European countries, especially new NATO members, as essentially he would like them to be Russian vassal states. Um, He has referred to the end of the uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union as the greatest disaster um, in Russian history. So, you know, he might be trying to have a long-term game plan where he's trying to, uh, in his mind, reconquer Europe or expand his sphere of influence. He might be trying to recreate the Iron Curtain, um, or this might just be domestic posturing. He's up for re-election in 2023. the economy is going poorly. Uh, the COVID performance, the pandemic performance by the Russian government has been abysmal, um, and uh, so you know you're trying to, and you have essentially a kleptocratic state. So you're trying to play up the nationalist narrative uh, in the hope of rallying your uh, your countrymen. And nothing better to do that uh, than you know the Russian North Korean script is. You construct your external enemy uh, in order to keep your citizens outside. side. So do you think they this will
0: become as evasive as Crimea? Do you think this is enough to keep them at bay.
5: Uh, I think nobody knows what Putin's aims or intents are. Nobody knows what his end game is, and my guess is not even his chief of defence staff, his foreign ministry, or his defence ministry know exactly what he might ultimately have in mind here. But he's clearly trying to extract some concessions from the West in general, and in particular from the United States. Um, and we'll see how far he's going to get. He knows that the Biden administration is under immense pressure this year; midterm elections coming up, and so I think he's trying his luck to see what is it that he can get uh, and how far does he need to push in order to get those concessions
0: it's all politics christian lepreck with us professor at both the royal military college of canada and queen's university and fellow at the mcdonald laurie institute christian as always thanks for the time be well always a pleasure scott have a great afternoon you too doug ford uh digging a hole digging people out and you know if you're a politician you can't do anything really can you? Uh you better just sit at home in your ass and do nothing. Uh and just twiddle your thumbs. Um uh, Doug Ford was uh out in his neighborhood I guess helping people uh get out of ditches or uh, snowbanks or such and um well let us play you some uh here's here some clips of uh of the superhero doing his work.
2: Well you know just trying to help people out and we've pulled some people out driven some people home just trying to help them, like everyone else is. It's just showing the the Ontario spirit and and uh, getting out there, and uh, everyone's just pitching in, just help and uh, just shovel when you can, and, and everyone pulls over and helps out. But that that's uh, that's that just shows what a great community uh, we live in, and everyone's helping out.
8: No,
0: but when you help out, you know, uh, people get cranky at you because they don't necessarily like you being seen in a positive light. As a Toronto Star, and the headline says, Doug Ford should help dig the city out of this hole instead of digging cars out of snowbanks. banks. Uh, you know, and, and obviously there's an election coming uh, in the spring or summer, June. And so, you know, it's very easy to be cynical and just say, hey, you know, he's only doing this for votes. He's not you didn't see any of the other leaders doing it for votes. (laughs) So I don't know. Uh, Again, I I just think that uh, he's sort of one of those down to earth guys. And if you need that hand, he'll give it to you. I think that's his nature. I think that's what we've seen through the pandemic. Uh, But to, you know, crap on people because they're helping. You uh, should be digging, should be digging the city out of this hole. Okay, Doug, uh, uh, Put down that shovel there that's helping that gentleman and pick up the shovel that's at City Hall and start digging there. Like what <laughs> Is this what it's become? It, it doesn't matter it, it doesn't matter what the issue is. It doesn't matter if you're successful or failing. If you're on the wrong team, we're gonna pee on you from great heights. We refuse to let anybody see our enemy in a positive light. And that's pretty much what we're seeing here. Uh, Just my opinion. Also, uh, fascinating reports coming out of uh, the U.S. Do we have time for the Reggie Giacchini clip? This is uh, in regard to 5G and airplanes. Haven't heard this one before, but the airline industry is voicing concerns over the uh, adapting of, of 5G. Listen. 5G phones are
9: a big seller, even with the majority of the U.S. not in the vicinity of a tower. That changes, however, when AT&T and Verizon flick the switch at midnight, but it comes amid concern that towers too close to airports could pose a risk to passengers and planes. Airlines say 5G's radio frequencies can interfere with altimeters, vital equipment needed to land when visibility is poor. Cell phone companies argue the technology is safe and is used in dozens of countries. Buffer zones are in place at some major U.S. hubs, while in Canada, 26 airports are in similar zones, even though rollout is still months away. In a last-minute move, U.S. cell companies say some towers near airports will remain off for the time being, but are critical of the FAA for not implementing new technologies, arguing 5G is a long-planned venture. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington.
0: So it's interesting. So is the airlines industry for not upgrading? Uh, upgrading with the technology. We're going to find out more about this tomorrow uh, and investigate it a little further. But, you know, if it's safe, why are we turning the towers off around airline, uh, around airports, just to be safe? Um, You know, this sort of reminds me of the, the whole Max 8 thing where, you know, Things systems were working and people really didn't know how they were working or the reasoning behind uh, the way they were working. So um, it going to be an interesting discussion. We'll uh, see if we can get some experts on this tomorrow and shed a little light on the airline industry and the uh, adoption of 5G and where it uh, leaves uh, that industry and uh, obviously some uh, lots of work to do. <laughs>
6: Stephen Snively and Christopher Marchant were found guilty of failing to provide the necessaries of life to Yosef El Hasnawi when they responded the night he was shot in central Hamilton in December 2017. A Superior Court judge sentenced the pair to six months of house arrest, followed by a curfew for the remainder of their sentence plus 150 hours of community service. Mario Pastorero, president of OPSU Local 256, which represents Hamilton area paramedics, says even though the men have been sentenced, they're appealing the conviction.
7: We we have retained expert appellate counsel that will be appealing the initial verdict and it remains to, to be seen what the outcome of that appeal will be.
6: The man who shot al-Hasnawi was found not guilty of second-degree murder but the crown is appealing that verdict. Lisa Puleski, Global News.
0: We all remember uh, this story quite vividly in Hamilton and the tragic loss of Yusuf, of Yusuf al-Hasnawi. And, uh, and it's just complicated and, and tragic on so many levels here uh, what has happened. And now, uh, obviously, the sentence has come down. Let's bring in Ari Goldkind, a Toronto defense lawyer. He is with us now. Ari, thank you for the time. I hope you're well.
9: Uh, great to be on with you, Scott. I am, and uh, I, I think I'll join uh, your audience in enjoying the snow.
0: Yeah, exactly. Good for you. That's it. We're all t- we're all looking at this positively. It was a Blue Monday yesterday, but nobody remembers that because it was covered in white.
9: All right. Uh, well, we this- were all inspired by our premier being out in his Escalade shoveling and helping bystanders and knowing um, how wonderful the world we live in. And uh, there you go.
0: I felt the same way, and it inspired me to do it too, Ari. Uh, All right, Uh, does
9: better than people tweeting with their thumbs. Better to use your hand to help somebody than tweeting like a big shot on Twitter. But that's just my view.
0: Good point. All right, does the sentence fit the crime here?
9: So this is a really interesting story, Scott, and I I don't think it's actually being looked at from a number of angles that it should be looked at. And good for you for playing the clip from Global there, where it mentioned. And nobody seems to talk about this, Scott. And I think there is a real nexus. The fact that the man who shot the young man that we're talking about who lost his life. Let me start there. The man who shot him walks the streets free and was acquitted by a jury, even though he brought a gun to a fistfight. That case is under appeal. It's astounding to me that that man, and look, I'm a defense lawyer, great work by his defense team. I understand it. I would have done the same, right? But it's astounding to me that Dale King tonight walks the streets free, not labeled a criminal for that matter. But these two paramedics that the judge agreed, I will repeat, agreed, did not intend in any way, shape or form to cause the death. That's not what they're charged with. We can get into that in a moment. But these two men are labeled criminals for the rest of their life and are serving an 18-month jail sentence in the community. Now, accepting at its highest that what the judge said and decided was accurate, because that's what you have to say, this is a case that will go under appeal. I think there are very strong appellate issues. I don't think this is the last
2: we will hear
9: about this case. But the sentence, if you take the judge's decision as dead-on accurate and correct, The sentence is probably the appropriate sentence, what outraged me, and I'll say this to you, Scott, because I think your listeners should know some inside baseball. I really like the two crowns on the case. I've done tons of cases with them. They're two very fine, knowledgeable crowns. But I hated, because of a number of political and legal matters, they thought that these two paramedics deserved to be behind bars for two and a half years each in a penitentiary. I can assure you, Scott, that as we're talking right now, there are people that have done far more heinous things than these two paramedics. Even if you think what the paramedics did was heinously wrong, there are people that have done far less wrong where Crown attorneys have not asked for two and a half years in a real jail cell, in a real penitentiary. That's the part of the story I never appreciated.
0: Uh, obviously, uh, I don't think you're going to get too many that will disagree that it, it's very bizarre that, that these two are paying, yet the shooter is free. It, it just seems bizarre. But does, that, does one case necessarily affect the other?
9: I don't know how much it does, although, look, you're never going to have somebody come out and say, you're never going to have a judge and obviously never going to have a jury because they don't talk to us, say, you know, something mixes in between the two. They're siloed, for lack of a better term. But you know there is a nexus there. Like these are called the superior courts of justice, right? The Ontario Court of Justice. It's not supposed to just be black lettered. There's there's got to be justice to it, you know, principle. And when you have a man who shot the young man being acquitted on self defense for a whole bunch of reasons that I can get into on that case, because I have very, I actually have stronger opinions on that probably than I do about the two paramedics. And I do think the two paramedics have gotten a raw deal. I don't care who disagrees with me, quite frankly. It makes no difference to me. But when you have Dale King, who had you know a very serious criminal record, he had his criminal history hidden from the jury. So imagine that. When he claimed self-defense, his criminal history, his character, his propensity for violence was hidden from the jury. So they might have thought he was Mother Teresa. In his life. Now, as a defense lawyer, Scott, I would do the exact same thing. His defense lawyers did exactly what they should do, but I'm not here to just be on one side. I'm here to look at it more holistically. You now compare that to two paramedics that had very good careers. They had very odd messaging from the dispatch that night. They may have said something terrible, and we can get into that what caught the judge's eye. You had a young man that they thought was having a psychiatric episode. But you know, I can tell you that there were three very central areas that the judge in Hamilton really hammered these three men on. These two men on. One of them testified, I thought, in a very believable way. But you know, there's a lot of optics, Scott. There's a lot of politics that come into this case, and I'm a person who believes. But at the in end of the
0: day, at the end of anything. At the end of the day, Ari, and I I get totally with what you're saying about the shooter and such, but many are sitting here today and saying, just as you said, these paramedics are heavily trained. They've got careers. Uh, This has not happened before uh, that I'm aware of in a case like this where someone's been charged this way. How could this happen? How could they have made this mistake?
9: So let me answer that. If you take the judge's ruling as absolutely correct and it stands up on appeal, let me, let me give that the benefit of the doubt, because, you know, his honor clearly heard the evidence more than the rest of us did. His honor was his honor, right? But here are the three areas where if you're not on the side of the paramedics, here's where they got in big trouble. The first area, and these are important. Picture them. You don't need to be a lawyer. They're very, very simple and not technical. Okay. The first one was they were told that there's a penetrating gunshot wound. And once paramedics are told that, it really means the pedal has to get put to the metal because the penetrating nature of the gunshot wound changes everything. One of the witnesses at the trial said that one of the paramedics was attributed to have said, this kid deserves an Oscar for his acting. Hmm. He was hard to deal with. He modulated between very excited and very not. And they may have thought it was a BB gun or a pellet gun, or that he was faking or embellishing. That's one of the things that the judge hammered them on, that that fell below the acceptable standard for a first responder, too. That when they lifted him up and allowed his brother to lift him up, that was done completely improperly. For example, Scott, let me make this, the example easier. What happens if they have the same young man, they pick them up off the ground, or let the brother do it inappropriately, and that led to him living, but he was paralyzed? right? Yeah. You could imagine as you, I mean, look, I'm old enough to remember ER. I think a lot of your audience remembers the show ER, okay? You know that there are very specific ways that you have to pick somebody yeah. off the ground. The judge hammered them on that. And the third one, and this is the really and most interesting one to me. And again, full disclosure, Scott, I still think they got a raw deal. They were fired 10 seconds after it happened. They had no due process. But here's where I think their guilt got crystallized. They took a whole lot of time, Scott, to get him to the hospital. And not only did they take 20, 30, 38 minutes to get him to the hospital without lights and sirens blaring, they actually didn't take him to the nearest trauma center. For a gunshot, they would have somewhere of a 40 to 60 percent. The number is probably right around 50. I don't remember it today. To actually have his life saved before he bleeds out in his abdomen. So if you disagree Ari, no i gotta, I got to
0: gotta use cut use you off them. there, Ari, because yeah. we're just simply out of time. Uh, no, Ari Goldstein no, no. with us, defense lawyer, talking about the two paramedics uh, being sentenced in the case of Yasef El-Haznawi.
4: These viruses, when they get on surfaces, you know, the, the environmental stresses of humidity, of dryness, of UV light, all of those degrade virus very quickly. And so we learned very quickly surfaces are not a... a, a a very efficient mode of transmission and likely even if there is spread it has to be you know someone that really is contaminated that surface
0: alright that's Dr. Zane Chagla speaking with us earlier on today uh, from McMaster in St. Joseph's Healthcare uh, talking about uh, well in case you may or may not have heard uh, officials in China are claiming that the cause of uh, Omicron in Beijing which is where the Olympics are in a couple of, in a few weeks uh, that, that this Omicron variant came into Beijing from an envelope that was mailed from Canada. So. Uh, again, we've had, uh, I don't know for how many weeks, scientists on talking, uh, professors talking about how this has spread. Remember, at the beginning, we were concerned about surfaces, uh, but that's one of the reasons we're still into the masking. It's a respiratory illness, and uh, the chance of it passing this way and a journey from a letter from Canada to China are, uh, are a little bizarre. Let's bring in Elliot Tepper. Uh, professor Political Science, Carleton University, with us now, Elliot. Thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Oh, thank you, Scott. Same to you. So, my question to you on this, because again, we've we've talked to many medical officials and such, and th- this just isn't the way the virus is spread. My question to you is: Why would China be caught saying something that is so unscientific? Why would they be caught saying something that seems very uneducated?
2: We have to remember that Xi Jinping has really put his own prestige on the line uh, behind something they call the zero COVID policy or dynamic zero co- COVID policy. There's not going to be COVID in in China. And of course, open, <laughs> we, we know now that uh, that's not likely to work, that the fact that it has now arrived in Beijing, as you pointed out, where the Olympics are going to be held very soon, adds an awful lot of stress to the um, to the party to fulfill its pledge. His, the prestige of the party is partially on the line over, over the whole question of can we have an Olympics in the middle of, you know, of a pandemic. But beyond that, the prestige of the party and the legitimacy of the party and the, the um, prestige of Xi Jinping himself now is increasingly committed to not letting happen what is happening. Therefore, blaming somebody else for it uh, for one thing, is really uh, probably uh, a good idea from their view. And the second thing is they they may believe it.
0: Uh, there you go. Because <laughs> you said legitimacy. Um, yep. d- does the population there still, or do they think that this can be mailed in a letter from Canada? Because, again, when it comes to legitimacy, people just kind of shake their heads at that.
2: Well, people here are shape, shape, shaking your heads. Yeah, yeah, There's a history of this. Remember, uh, perhaps you and I talked about a very long time ago, at the very start, at the very start of the whole idea of the COVID pandemic, that is in March 2020, the blame was immediately placed not on anything happening inside China, but mm-hmm. no, uh, soldiers from Fort Detrick in America had imported it. So... There's a, a pattern here of deflecting from any local uh, so, uh, blame, any local sources of what's going on there. Beyond that, there's been since then a steady drumbeat of saying, well, we know that this can be brought in from outside on frozen food. So they've got a whole policy of yeah. looking at frozen food. The, the um, You can just call it a human rather than other kinds of uh, motives saying, we don't want to be blamed for it, but in this case, Xi Jinping, and this is something you and I have uh, talked about, has coming up what is extremely important for him, be well beyond the Olympics, which is his um, coronation for a third term, an unprecedented third term, basically being permitted at the 20th Party Congress to be leader for life. Hmm. Uh, nothing is allowed to come between him and that goal, including Omicron.
0: Um, So where do you see the Olympics in a couple of weeks uh, if they start to have an issue? Because you can't keep this... Uh, secret. I mean, you can't, uh, you know, if you're locking people down, everyone's aware of it. There were stories, uh, earlier in the week of, of, uh, certain cities that were being locked down just to try to contain this, uh, in China that people were being, uh, literally held up in office towers and, and pillows and blankets being brought in and until the whole tower could be, could be cleared. I mean, if this breaks out during the Olympics, it, it'll be pretty hard to keep
2: it a secret, won't it? It'd be pretty hard to stop the spread. (laughs) Apparently, tickets are are no longer to be sold to the public. Elaborate procedures have been made to create a bubble around the Olympics. The piercing of Beijing by the Omicron virus is perhaps the piercing of that bubble. And that's raising, uh, I think, the the tension around this uh, to the level we see it now.
0: And what about uh, the security around the app that the Canadian athletes will be using? I guess this is to uh, in in order to uh, to make sure that everybody is vaccinated and and everything like that is is uh, is up to snuff. Uh, But many are considering that uh, or many are concerned about the security of this. Uh, Is that any reason to raise red flags?
2: Well, yes, (laughs) yes. Anything having to do with technology involving in Canada, we talk about Huawei and 5G. Uh, the anything having to do with the fact that Chinese security and intelligence has access to basically anything that uh, uh, happens around them or around the world, for that matter, f- with Huawei, which is why our partners in the Five Eyes have banned it, uh, raises immediate suspicion and concern. Again, it may be considered just innocent, and we want to keep track of people, but the fact that this is a security and surveillance state with an authoritarian one-party leadership, with Xi Jinping in charge of that, showing increasing, increasing signs of authoritarianism rather than decreasing, yes, that automatically raises concern.
0: Would you be concerned if you were an athlete downloading this app on your phone?
2: Our athletes, according to the same report in the press, have been told, don't bring your own personal things. Your yeah. own personal electronics because well just don't do it. So there's in advance people are being told you should be wary of electronic devices uh, when you're in China or in this case wearing Chinese technology. Um, I don't think they have a choice in terms of the athletes taking part must use this app. It, it, uh, has all the vital information like where is your where's your meat and when yeah there's there's no choice but it uh, does raise a red flag yes
0: elliot tepper with us political science prof carlton university talking about uh beijing and getting ready for the olympics and uh blaming canada in a letter from here uh for the reason that there is an outbreak of omicron in beijing elliot as always thank you so much for the time
2: be well uh, thank you scott
0: scott radley joining us host of the scott radley show coming up right after the six o'clock news and columnist for your hamilton spectator scott how are you i hope you're doing well i hope is that is that ben gay i can smell all the way from your house <laughs> is that
8: a535 i'm smelling uh i hope that's what it is i don't know what you're smelling in the studio or wherever you are but uh, yeah it was uh it was um it was pretty shovely yesterday
0: I was out till eleven o'clock last night, shoveling and helping yep. neighbors and whatever. You know, it was great because lots of people on the street. So, and then the plow would come by, and oh no, I thought you know yes. thought people were going to yes. start chasing it. Yes,
8: that is that is I think the bane of every Canadian's existence is you yeah, the, somehow the plow guy. every snow plow driver they have some GPS or something. Uh, or someone watching from a satellite, and they say, Thompson just finished his driveway. <laughs> Move in. So they, can, yeah. so they can go by. And then last night, I was joking with my neighbor across the street because under cover of darkness while I'm out there trying to finish because I couldn't get it all done in one shot. I said, you must have tipped the snowplow driver because his driveway had six inches of pile and mine had three and a half feet of pile. Yeah,
0: how did, yeah, you don't get away with six inches, man, because it was at least a meter
8: it was each ridiculous. direction. It was ridiculous. Anyway, it's uh, I I still. So we have you know different cars because of the kids are go driving to work. My car remains uh, a rumor at this point.
5: Um,
8: (laughs) It it uh, it looks as though uh, there are rumors who have put up an igloo in our driveway. It is a car, uh, but I'm not going to be driving it for uh, several days. Let's put it that way. It's not getting out. But the rest of them all got going.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I, I, I can't remember them ever closing down highways so they could plow them. That for me was uh, something that stood out. Well, here's one thing I wanted to ask you about. Uh, Doug Ford goes around helping people in his neighborhood, digging them out and taking them for uh, give them a ride home, all that sort of stuff. Now we all know it's an election year coming up, yep. so there certainly is politics at play here. Uh, but the Toronto Star said Doug Ford should help dig the city out of this hole instead of digging cars out of snowbank. Uh, is that an accurate headline, or is it's <laughs> that a low blow?
8: Well, it's probably a bit of a low blow, but I mean, look, it, it, depending on your your fandom or disdain of Doug Ford, what he did yesterday was either him being a, a kind man of the people, or him. being Yeah, it depends if you like oh, him or hate him. Uh, yeah, and so you know, look, what, what happened yesterday? I, I, while I, you know, let, let's let's believe that his intentions were pure uh i think there was politics involved too but let's believe he i don't think one single person probably changed their opinion of him on that one i think those who liked him uh that got a little more entrenched that they thought wow what a good guy and those who really don't like him said look how what a distraction and just trying to hide from everything else so you, you know it's it's modern politics scott once upon a time I believe that certain things could sway people's opinions about a politician. I believe people now are so dug in on their political stances. that it. You know, when remember when Donald Trump back in a debate a long time ago when he was running said, I could walk down the street and shoot people and they'd still yeah, vote for me? Yeah, yeah. It's true, but it's true on both sides of the aisle. It doesn't yeah, yeah. matter what you do. You are either going to be liked by those who share your political stance or hated by those who don't. And that's it.
0: I think a lot uh, were just upset that he was getting positive press and wish they had thought of it and uh, got their people out. But you know, I digress. Hey,
8: can uh, they're I mean, talking one thing though about the snow, yesterday? yes cause someone Go. sent me an email and I hadn't thought of it, and I thought, you know what's actually a pretty good point. You know we're pushing for uh, electric cars entirely now. I think uh, Bill Kelly had Stephen Gibert, or I you say his name, the uh, mm-hmm. environment minister on. What would have happened on the 401 yesterday when people were stranded for eight hours in freezing cold and snow if they had electric cars?
0: Enough said. All right, uh, should Ontario's restrictions end January 6th? Uh, the Premier's alluding that there is some positive news coming. Uh, this is when they were supposed to be lifted. This was only a temporary situation. Considering where we are with Omicron, it looks like things have uh, leveled off a bit, although they always stress that the hospitalization is a couple of weeks afterwards. Uh, that being said, is it is that it? Should we move on from this now that we're vaccinated and getting it and in, and in, in
8: surviving? Sorry, just I, I, I misheard what you said. Did you say they're talking about February sixth or January twenty sixth?
0: Sorry, January twenty sixth. They're like going to like it was. To, right. yeah, so, like yeah, it was yes. Planned.
8: Um, you know, it, Scott, I always go back to to the answer that we've been arguing for. I think a lot of people for a long time, and that is, yes the the numbers are one statistic to look at, but what are what's the effect on the hospitals? Yeah. And, I mean, if if 5 billion people get this, but there's not many people in the hospitals, who cares? If if fewer people get it and it's a huge effect on the hospitals, big difference. So, you know, to me, this decision is, are we seeing a sign that the numbers are dropping in the hospitals? If so, then lift the restrictions. And if we're seeing that they're not or going up still, you may have to reconsider. But, you know what? Uh, Boy, I, I... There is a point coming, and and I know we're out of time. There is a point coming, and we may have hit it, we may have passed it, or it may be coming soon. When I just think that government's telling people you're restricted, people are just going to say, nope, not doing it. And and I think think we've hit that. that.
0: I think we've hit that point right now, and I think people are realizing this is less about COVID and more about trying to prop up a, a very unstable, very neglected healthcare system. Uh Scott Radley coming up moments from now after the six o'clock news. And of course you can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You too, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live, weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. As always, we leave it to you, the good listener, to have the last word. Hey, Scott, I'm stuck
9: here out in the snow. I'm ditching CAA. I want my Dougie membership. (laughs)